All right, let's get our Bibles. Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 26. As you are turning there, um, we're going to have, starting this next Sunday, a four-part series on the glory of God. Possibly the biggest theme in all of the Bible, everything points to the glory of God, everything is for the glory of God. If you've ever wondered what that is, in these next four weeks we're going to see how God's glory is shown um, through His love, His holiness, His power. And next week we're going to ask the question, can you actually know God? If you have skeptical friends, they may have asked this question before, be like, no, seriously? You're talking about being a follower of Jesus, a follower of the one true God. God, if he actually exists, has created everything, is it actually possible that you and little old me can actually know God? And if we can know God, in what way and to what extent can we know him? And then we're going to build from that um, to the glory of God. Also, in the month of September, September 20th, we're going to have a special, um, years ago they called them a revival meeting, a revival jumpstart weekend. We're going to have uh, David Wheeler come from Liberty University. He teaches evangelism there, and he actually is one of these guys that actually practices what he preaches. He actually shares the gospel outside of his classes. Incredible, incredible communicator. And maybe for our ADHD brethren and sistren, sometimes you're like, it's just hard for me to track the whole time. David Wheeler is a ball of energy. Um, if you think Isaac was awesome, uh, Dr. Wheeler has been teaching and preaching for years. He's an absolutely awesome man of God. What we're going to do Sunday, September 20th, we're going to have the 71 band from Liberty University. We've had Sounds of Liberty here uh, many times. They're kind of like that group. They're going to lead us in worship that morning. Dr. Wheeler's going to preach. And then in the afternoon, he's going to come back and teach a, a session on marriage and family. It's going to be awesome, biblical, practical. And so um, start inviting your friends to that, especially the Sunday morning uh, event. After that, we're going to start a six-week series this fall on the existence of God. We're going to ask the questions that the atheists ask. And if you have had those questions, come. If you have friends and family that have issues, they're like, well, how can you know God or prove God to me? That's one of the biggest things. Well, why don't you prove to me that he doesn't exist? We'll get into uh, teleology, science. We're going to get into uh, reason and rationale, morality. All of these arguments that float across our culture, we're going to grab a hold of those as best we can, bring them down, address them with the word of God, and hopefully going forward we'll have an awesome set of information that you can refer people to if they have um, questions about God's existence. You all ready for the fall? Because here's the thing that happens in most churches. Most churches, the weekend after Labor Day, everything kind of gets settled into a normal schedule. And a lot of people come back to church who've been out of church all summer. And so use this fall, use this post-Labor Day, these events, to invite people, even people who haven't gone to church, even people you think, well, Jeff, it would be a waste of time to even talk to them. You never know what God will do through a simple invitation. And let's let's look forward to great things and we've got a couple of awesome special guests. We have, if Baptist had a bishop, it would be Larry Holland. But Larry Holland, thank you for being here. Pastor Franklin Heights for over 40 years. Great light in the community. Can we make him welcome this morning? Good seeing you. And also during the, the band songs, I noticed someone in the back, on the back row with their hand raised. Charlotte Jagelski, one of our Liberty interns, is here this morning. We love you, Charlotte. We're glad that you're back. 
Well, as we, as we look at Galatians chapter 5, um, there are some things that really stand out and, and are almost, well, let's just say they are uncomfortable to even say in our culture today. Things like crucifying your flesh, putting your flesh to death. Things that are so strange that sometimes we gloss over it and lose the meaning. But before we get into what that means, I think that the world, it's been, this has been an absolutely crazy week. Um, Moroccan terrorist on a French train this week had a gun, a Kalashnikov AK-47, and tried to, to kill people. And there's nothing new in history. The Americans were there to save the French. <laughs> Two American soldiers and a California college student were able to subdue that guy. They said, we continued to beat him until he went unconscious. And the crew fled. I think that's a testament to our armed services. That, that's, that's some good news, right? That's some good news. And the guy wasn't killed, so maybe he'll have the chance to have the gospel explained to him someday. If he hasn't, he'll give his life to Jesus Christ. But that was kind of, that was kind of a, well, you know what? There are some things that, that can go right, but there are some other things that happened this, this week, um, that you guys already have heard about. The Ashley Madison hack. And that's a site uh, for people to go on and register an account looking for other married people to have an affair with. Their advertising line is a woman doing this, like be quiet over her mouth, and it says that life is short, have an affair. Well, hackers from the dark net hacked the Ashley Madison site. There's over a 9.7 gigabyte data dump of all of the people who were registered on this site that is organized specifically not for simply casual sex but for people who are married wanting to have an affair i was reading the article on it and there were over 38 million of these adulterers or would-be adulterers who were exposed and there was a a map a graphic on the uh the the website the british article that went into the bust and it had lights all around the world for people who had registered accounts and you know what it looked like pretty much everywhere people lived somebody was on the site and we look at that and we see man that that's that's crazy when then the planned parenthood videos came out about people in that organization who are actively involved in selling the body parts of aborted humans and then sometimes we look in culture and we say, well, let's, let's look for some people that we can look up to. And there was always Jared from Subway. And nobody actually likes Subway. We eat there out of guilt. Can I get an amen? I mean, there may be one or two, but nobody wakes up. I cannot wait to get me some Subway, you know, waiting out there at the door, waiting for it. Like nobody does that. We want to go get something that's not good, but it tastes good. But we go there out of guilt. And Jared was always that guy that people looked up to. Well, this week he pled guilty to child pornography charges. And U.S. Attorney Josh Minkler said in Indianapolis that the case was, quote, a five-year criminal scheme to exploit children. And Subway has cut all ties and said he does not represent our organization's values. And, man, we look at that stuff and we're like, what in the world? Just America. What in the world is going on? And here's exactly what's going on. Whenever a nation leaves God, and I don't know if we were ever a fully Christian nation, because to be a Christian nation, you've got to be a Christian nation. Culture warriors, y'all all right? 
But the further that we drift from God, the more that we make fun of marriage and say, you know what, marriage is not a big deal. It, it, it's just for your own happiness. The more things like this adultery site are commonplace, and really it shouldn't surprise any of us if we're paying attention at all. The Planned Parenthood videos, that shouldn't be a shock to any of us because we've devalued a whole class of people in our society. It's all about convenience and money, so why should that surprise us? But still, but still, all of this stuff that's coming out in our society and it causes us to say, man, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Guess who are the ones who routinely get lifted up as what you never want to be? You and me. The brunt of the jokes, talk shows, whatever it may be, is usually biblical Christians. Not so-called liberal Christians that says we'll take the Bible as a suggestion, but people who say, you know, we actually believe that the Bible is inspired by God and there's actually good evidence. We don't just check our brains at the door. And if you listen to the dialogue, it's often as if people think that followers of Jesus Christ in the 21st century Western world are more like the walking dead than anything else. Zombies that simply walk on without any thought. We've checked our brains at the door. We don't ask questions. We don't study. And we're simply walking along with no purpose, no fun, no joy. Everything that could be enjoyed, we don't have a part of it. But is that really the biblical picture on who we are as a people, brothers and sisters? You see, the Bible talks about Life and death. It's interesting that when you look in Ephesians chapter 2, and this ties in with the Galatians 5 that we'll come to in a minute. You see in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that before any one of us ever came to Jesus and were saved and born again, we were dead in sins and trespasses. Dead. It doesn't say that we were floating in the ocean trying to stay afloat. It says that we were dead in sins and trespasses. But then when we got saved, it says that we came alive to God. So whenever we get saved, the old us is put to death and we are made a brand new creation. That's the good news. But you see, the world has it backwards. They say life is about fulfilling whatever desires you have that say this feels good, therefore do it. But as followers of Christ, we say we've died to the flesh, but we're alive to God. So here's the question. Once we get saved and we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are no longer dead to God. We've been made alive. Life actually makes sense since God exists. Like life is for God. Our work and our family, those things have been given as gifts to us, our bodies and our minds. But all of that is to point to God, you see. But the world has it backwards. They say because you guys don't do the things that we do and engage in the activities and enjoy and make excuses for these things that, well, they may be a little bit shady, but they're, they're pretty fun. They say the reason why you guys don't do that, you're dead, you have no fun. We say, no, we're dead to sin. And sin kills. Sin brings destruction. Sin fractures relationships. We say we're dead to that, but we're alive to God. So here's the question. Who's really the walking dead? It's not followers of Jesus Christ. We've been made alive and we've been made new. But can we be really honest? Sometimes we don't always live like it. Can I get an amen in the house? Man, you remember that time when Jesus transformed your life and you were made new. You had a new direction but there's not one of us in here that has been born again and saved that has always done what was right. 
Every single one of us has at one time or another, including myself, disappointed the Lord. Disappointed people, fallen, stumbled. And so they say, we say, well, how does that actually work together? Like I really want, I now really want to do the right thing. I don't, I, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to go look at things that I shouldn't. I don't want to be angry with my children or with people at work, but sometimes I am and I do. How does that work? Have you experienced that struggle? It's like you, you want to do the right thing. You, you, you want to put the bottle down, but it just seems like it just keeps coming back, right? Galatians chapter 5 is so beautiful because it explains the struggle of walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. And it gives us hope that through God we can actually do that. So the Bible says in verse 23 of Galatians chapter 5, this is the end of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And those are simply qualities of Jesus that the Holy Spirit creates in us once we are born again. There's gentleness, self-control. Very interesting phrase here. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ, here's the violent language, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So here's what we're going to try to draw from this passage this morning. It's right there in your notes. Is that walking by the Spirit equals the death of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit. Now what, what, what does that actually mean to walk by the Spirit? To walk by the Spirit means to live And make decisions based upon what God is leading you to make. Those decisions that God would say are right. And you can see whether they're right or wrong by whether they mesh with the word of God. Now here's a question. What does the Bible mean when it's talking about flesh? Well, in the book of Galatians specifically, the flesh refers um, not to the physical body necessarily. But it's talking about that part of human nature that's naturally opposed to God and wants to put ourselves first place in everything. It's that thing inside you and I that when we know we should do the right thing, there's a little voice inside that says, even though there's the sign that says, don't step on the grass, see if you can get a toe over the line. None of y'all laughed. It's that voice that leads us to say, let's just push the parameters and do what we know God is saying not to. And here's Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. This is the front bookend for this passage. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So here it is. The flesh is whatever goes against God. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So what does it actually mean to walk by the Spirit? And by the way, if you've been changed and transformed, that's what all of us want to do, right? Like we want to please the Lord. We don't want to be like we talked about last week. We don't want to be that bad story. Like we, we, we don't, we don't want to be that person that everybody says, did you hear what happened? And they're not gossiping. Like it's just all over the news. Like, did you hear what happened? And it's just so heartbreaking to hear. Like we don't want to disappoint people. We don't want to live in such a way that our rebellion and sin causes people to think that Jesus is a joke because we're living like a joke. We tracking? 
You see, we, we don't want that. So, so we have the flesh, though, that's leading us to do exactly that. Like the flesh is leading us like a moth to the flame. So how do we actually walk by the Spirit? Well, this passage is very freeing, and, and let's look at verse 23. This is a very freeing point. It says that you can have confidence that you are in God's will. This is in your notes. When demonstrating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Notice that it says at the end of verse 23, against such things there is no law. What things? Let's go back. It begins in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What the Bible is saying is that when God begins to do these works in your life and you say, in this action, am I loving In this motivation, am I willing to have joy with someone else who had a really nice job offer and not me? And go to to another one of them. Am I being patient in this situation? Do I Am I living in such a way with my family members that I am peaceful as opposed to a wild banshee? Like, am I the one who is giving peace? Am I the one promoting peace? Or am I the one that everybody has to carry around fire extinguishers because I start things all the time? You see, we know that we're doing right when we exhibit these qualities through the grace of God. There's a friend of mine in Georgia, and I remember he was so frustrated because his, his mom and dad, they, he was the only, only child, and his mom and dad never really communicated with them like how he was doing and he said he said man i'm like 20 something years old they've never told me good job on anything he's like i'm working a job i don't know if they approve i'm trying to do the right thing i've got a little boy and it was so frustrating for him because he didn't know how he was doing and he simply wanted his mom and dad to come by and be like you know what you're doing a good job doing a hard job at work you're doing the right thing there is no uncertainty in this passage amen That we can know that we're in the will of God. We can know that God's hand of blessing is on us. Not when we try to manufacture these things, but when it's hard to love. But through the power of God, we love anyway. When sometimes it seems like we want to pull our hair out, but yet through the power of God, we act in patience. And we give kindness when the person doesn't necessarily deserve it. We know that we are in God's will. And there's nothing more pleasing to God than to see his children following him. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Do you guys realize that? Like you can have confidence that you're actually in the right. And notice this word law. If you've read your Bible long at all, you come across this term. And the word law in the first century church brought up all sorts of debates. There's this group called the antinomians. And they were a group who said, the law is no good. What we need to do is throw out the Old Testament and none of it applies at all. They're kind of a group who said, you know what? Let's just get some Bible to try to twist and support us doing what we really want to do instead of us reading the Bible and doing what God wants us to do. But then there's the Galatians, and if you read the book in its totality, the Galatians struggled because they said, well, I got saved by grace, but don't I have to keep the law to stay saved? 21st century Southern American culture, we say, well, you know what, I I, I gave my life to Jesus, but don't I have to do something? Don't I have to keep up an end of the bargain? And the scripture says, no, it's by grace that we get saved, and it's by grace that we stay saved. So how did the New Testament church actually handle the Old Testament law? 
Because, man, that thing was absolutely comprehensive. I mean, the Old Testament law was comprehensive over every aspect of life. If you were an Old Testament Hebrew or if you were a Gentile convert, put on your seatbelts, no more pork chops. Some of y'all, that make you question. Heaven, hell, pork chops, like I, you know, like let me, let me see. There was no friend, there was no shrimp, no camel jerky, Helene, no fried or, or dried shrimp that she brought back from Louisiana. If you've ever read the Levitical law, you're like, man, there's some stuff in here that God says that he didn't want the, the, the Hebrews to eat because, but that's some of that stuff is pretty good. Here's what Acts 15, and this would be a very helpful verse if you're new to Scripture, understanding how the Old and New Testament work together. Acts 15, 19 through 20. This is James, the brother of Jesus, and he says, in relation to does the Old Testament ceremonial law and dietary law, is that binding on New Testament believers who are not Jews? And here's what he says. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from that which has been strangled, and from blood. What he was saying is be sexually pure and avoid these things that are strictly associated with idol worship in the first century. But the Old Testament law, such as don't murder, I mean, that's still binding. But you remember when Jesus explained it, it gets so much more convicting. Remember Jesus says that, you know it's written, you shall not murder, you shall not kill. But I say to you that if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. So the point of the moral law was to bring us to a place to where we would say, I can't actually keep the moral law, which that's why I need Jesus, because Jesus kept the moral law, he kept the ceremonial law, he kept the dietary law, and the sacrificial, Jesus was the sacrifice. Amen? You see, Jesus kept it all. And then when we're understanding, well, how does the law actually relate to us today? Go back to verse number uh, 14. Notice what the Bible says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we understand these things, but then it comes to the question of, of crucifying the flesh. What on earth does that mean in verse 24 when it says that all of those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires? What it means is that when we come to Jesus Christ, we have a change of allegiance. What it means is that we now live for what we used to think was absolutely dead. Why would anybody want to live for God? There's no fun in that. And now we live against what we used to think life was all about, which is actually what brings brokenness and damnation. Then people will say, well, now, now, Jeff, it sounds kind of crazy in our culture to try to do something like that. Like, how do you actually, how do you actually crucify your flesh? I mean, you just come this way once, right? Just enjoy yourself. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't just, quote, come this way once. This life is an opportunity to know God. Amen? To know God for who He is and reflect Him to other people. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want 
to crucify the flesh. It means that we don't want to give in to the desires that we may really want to do, but we know bring death. Why? Because when we begin to give in, those things only bring emptiness. The flesh says, engage in sex with someone who's not your husband or your wife. It'll be fun. It'll be exhilarating. But we know that that is a false lie and it brings brokenness and emptiness. We also know that the flesh never delivers what it promises. You see, when we get saved and we begin to walk with Christ, it's like before, to use the C.S. Lewis illustration that we've heard many times, it's like a kid who's making mud pies in a dark, damp, stinky alley. And then someone says, let's go to the beach and build sandcastles. We realize that the life that we had before Christ ended in emptiness and it wasn't life at all. You say, okay, now how do I actually begin to crucify the flesh? Well, you can't do it. I can't do it as a matter of our own will. We can't just decide one day, I'm going to change my desires. Notice there in verse 16 and 17. The Bible says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what this means here, this is so important, that being a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that we have to run around all the time worried about if demons are hiding in the bushes. Have you met Christians like that before? And they just they just live in fear. They live in fear of doing something wrong. They live in fear of spiritual forces are messing up. The Bible simply says if we walk by the Spirit, which means every day when we get up, we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in His promptings, then that is how you defeat the desires of the flesh. And you and I will have desires that we wish were not there until the day that we die. You ever seen one of those sci-fi movies where they try to kill the monster and just doesn't die? I mean, it's one of those things you kind of lay there in bed and stare at the ceiling at night because, I mean, they tried to kill it. They tried to kill it. They nuked it. Then they then they shot it, and then they burned it, and they smashed it, kind of like the Freddy Krueger movies. But then, like, at the very end of the movie, a little hand comes across the screen. You're like, I thought it was dead. That's the flesh. The flesh, until, until, until we meet Jesus Christ face to face, we will struggle with the flesh. But in order for that to be successful, in order for us to actually walk with Jesus, we have to have a different owner. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved by sin. And crucifying the flesh, it it requires God being the owner and God being the operator. And it's kind of like this, kind of like if you work a job and you've got a very, very difficult and demanding boss, boss is calling you all the time. I need you here. I need you to work overtime. If you are in that job and you need that job, you answer the phone like you live with the phone. But if you get a different job, you get a different boss. We tracking? And the old boss can continue to call as many times as he or she wants. But we don't have to answer the phone. You see, when you become a follower of Jesus, the flesh will still call. The flesh will still text. The flesh will still stop by. It will always be there in some degree. But through the power of Jesus, we no longer are a slave. And wouldn't it be great for some folks in Rocky Mount Baptist Church gathered here this morning to stop denying that you're a slave? None of us 
could think that in a group of this size, that there aren't many of us here that are addicted to things that we know are wrong, that we know are tearing away at us and our family. I encourage you, if you're struggling with that, come to Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, know that one day that body of sin, that desire will be done away with. You see, crucifying the flesh, it requires a different owner. It also requires a different objective. If you go to Galatians chapter 6 in verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So here's the Bible saying that when we come to Christ, there's been a death. The world to us and us to the world. William Lane Craig says you're not really ready to be used by God until you're ready to be seen a fool for Christ. And I hope that you join with me in praying for our students this year. You realize how difficult it is in today's atmosphere even to say I'm going to church in many circles. Let's pray for them that they would stand firm in a lost world that is growing increasingly away from Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 25 of chapter 5, the Bible says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is also important. Notice that the Bible here is saying to us that we live by the Spirit, meaning God is the one who gives us eternal life. He's the one who gives us physical life. He is the source for our life. But it says, let us also walk in the Spirit. So the Bible here is clearly saying just because we're saved doesn't mean that we'll always do the right thing. It's saying live in step with the Spirit. When we lived in, in Louisiana, there were snakes snakes everywhere. For those of you that, um, that don't like snakes, um, just don't go. Just, just don't go. I mean, you get, you get off the plane, they're hanging there. You know, I mean, it's just the state birds, the mosquito. It's a very interesting place. Um, if you love to hunt, it's an awesome place to go. And, uh, we had my, my uncle who was a police officer, uh, from Westover Hills right outside Fort Worth, Texas. And I mean, he's one of the guys I would, we would go visit when I was a, you know, young kid, teenager, and he'd throw all kinds of weight on like the leg press machine, squat, bench press. He was not, I had my dad's build. Uncle Tommy had grandpa's build. All right. And so he's just this strong guy, this police officer, you know, who would tell me all these things you could do to manhandle people and, you know, and he's like, well, you're going to be a preacher later on. So you get business meetings and whatnot. So, so, so we, we went to, we made, I probably shouldn't admit this. We made a potato gun. I don't know if those are legal in, in Virginia, but we made them. I'm not going to tell you how to make them, but they, they go boom really loud and they send a potato hundreds of yards. If you make them right and use the right fuel, I will not tell you that either. And so we go, we go into the woods, kind of like the swamps and we, we get on this, this long tree line and, and we, um, are about to fire off some potatoes because that's what you do. All right. And then all of a sudden I hear snake, not just any snake. There were huge water moccasins there. And we saw this water moccasin, you know, they've got their head out like that. So I had this really long stick and I was kind of lucky shot. He went right there and I just swung out like that and caught him behind the head and it, and it disabled the snake to some degree because we had my little brothers, some other little kids. I was about 16. I was like, Poisonous snakes, little kids. If you're a snake lover, I apologize, not really. But, you know, like the snake, the snake, the snake needs to go. Alright, so I hit the snake and I turned around and I kid you not, Uncle Tommy was about 50 yards that direction. I was like, I didn't know you ran track. Freaked out of his mind. Big biceps, you know, all huddled up like that. Like, and I was like, what, what's wrong? He's like, the only time I've ever seen a snake has been behind the glass. 
at the snake museum or whatever it is, the snake planetarium. And so, so then, then I said, well, well, the snake's almost dead. Would you like to try to finish it off? And I will not give you the details, but the man took a staff and I've never seen more vengeance and fear. I mean, he beat that snake six, six inches to the ground and said, load up the potato gun, load it up, load it up. So we got the potato gun stuck at six inches in the ground. Patoom! Some of y'all are like, we're not coming here next Sunday. We're, we're going to go to a normal church. And he sit there with that stick, man, that big old staff. And he was going to town on that snake. And I, cause he thought it may come back. I say, you know what? That should be us with the flesh. That we should be honest enough with ourselves to say, you know what? I am alive in Christ. Praise be to God. I live by the spirit, verse 25, but walking by the spirit, man, it's so difficult. And I know myself. I know I have a weakness. I know I have a weakness for drinking too much. I, I know I have an I know I have an anger issue. I know it just seems to, to well up. I have an issue with my eyes. It's like I I, I want to look at lustful things, and it's it's time for some of us to be honest with ourselves, where we say, "I'm going to be honest about the areas that want to draw me away from walking from the Spirit, and behave towards the flesh, like Uncle Tommy did towards that snake. Don't give it any air." There's one Bible commentary that phrases it this way. We are to be executioners dealing cruelly with the body of sin, which has caused the acting of all cruelties on Christ's body. When we are tempted, let it be that we don't give in. Let us begin to pray, to call out in the name of Jesus Christ for deliverance. And to think how this sin that we're tempted to commit, that's the very sin that nailed Jesus to the tree. Jesus, the one who died for us, The one who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Think of what that sin will do to our families, to our parents, to our children, to our wives, our husbands. Let us begin in those moments where it seems like temptation to walk against the Spirit pulls us off the path. And it's almost like there's a dragon sinking its claws and pulling us away. Let us cry out to Jesus Christ. Cry out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. Help me. Deliver me and know that life is not all about us satisfying our own desires. I was reading one article and it wasn't even a Christian article. It was a secular article that said if you could think about or do something for 10 minutes when you're tempted to do what is driving you to the abyss, most of the time, even people who don't know Jesus Christ can turn the corner at least for that section of time. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have to sit there and think about counting sheep for 10 minutes, in an instant we can call out to Jesus Christ. And he is there because he indwells us. And the Bible concludes in verse 26 with how do you walk by the Spirit? Here are three temptations. Number one, the Bible says, let us not become conceited. The word can also be translated vainglorious. It means having pride and ourselves instead of God. It is the temptation of the successful to say everything should revolve around me and what I think. If I don't get my opinion in, then it's not going to work. The Bible says let us not become conceited because it's not about me and it's not about you. Notice the second one, provoking one another. It's a combative spirit. You say, well, when, I, when we get saved, our goal changes. It's no longer just to have a nice retirement by the beach and like John Piper says, to collect shells. 
That's fine if you like shells. It's fine if you enjoy vacations, but those things are not to take the place of fulfillment in God. Those things are to be given as gifts from God to be used for the Lord. And especially if you get the opportunity to do something like a cruise, what an amazing opportunity for evangelism. If they say, I don't want to hear it, you say, Flights. I mean, all of these things that some of you who God has blessed and you say, I don't know how I, I never thought I would have the material possessions that I have. God's just blessed me so much. Use that for the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's blessed you with a beautiful home, invite people, use that home to show hospitality and have people over for God's glory. You see, when our goals in life change to making disciples of all nations, notice the conceited thing, it doesn't fit into the schedule anymore because it's not about me when we have the goal of making disciples of all nations there's no reason for me to be combative and provoke everyone and for us to be combative with one another you see a bored christian is a very 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 dangerous thing often in christian life we can have people who claim to believe the gospel and to believe jesus christ and to follow him but they they're not regularly sharing their faith and christians can turn in on themselves over things that are not the main things. Question, how many lost people do you regularly contact? Are you sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus? If you do, it'll make many of the things that Christians argue about seem very, very shallow in comparison. And then finally, the Bible says, do not envy one another. Envying one another means viewing others as a threat. It means that person, if I think they're more attractive than I am, or they make more than I do, or they're funnier than I am, then therefore I view them as an enemy. Guess what? Through Jesus Christ, we don't have to be first place because he's first place. And if God does put us first place in business or in popularity, or you're a people person or you're a supervisor, guess what? He's put you in that first place so you can let people know through your words and through your actions that you are not first place in your life, but Jesus Christ is. Don't become conceited. God's blessed you. It's not you. It's not me. What God is doing among Rocky Mount Baptist Church, it's not Jeff Robinson. This is not Jeff Robinson's church. If God gives me the help years down the road when I need help getting up here and I'm walking around the stage, still getting out after noon, there's going to be a day if God tarries, to where Jeff Robinson is going to be another name on the long list of pastors who have been here since 1879. If God tarries 50, 100 years later, people may remember a few things. Maybe there's a name. But I tell you what, most of the names that are in our graveyards, that are in rolls, rosters in city buildings, nobody's going to know. But what will matter is the influence that nobody can trace. They can't footnote it was you. But it was your Christ-likeness. You were saying, you know what? I'm not going to be vainglorious. I'm, I will not give in to pride and conceit. I will, through God's power, be humble. I will not provoke, but I will bring peace. I will not envy, but I will applaud and be excited about people who benefit. Because one day, all of this, it, it's, it's, it's going to be said and done. And the charge, man, that we're the walking dead, that we have no fun, that, that, that Christians live a lame life, and, and we simply check our brains at the door. The whole world, the saved and the unsaved, whenever everything is settled, we'll be able to see that Jesus Christ is a mighty, mighty Savior. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
And for those of us that Jesus has saved, and if you're not saved, we hope that you get saved here today. You know how amazing it will be to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, to have the word of God and to say, you know what? I no longer have to struggle about that. Those, the, those desires that draw me to the flame, I no longer have to worry about it because I'm with Jesus and the sin nature has been eradicated. It will be a day of ultimate joy. If you've been blessed by Jesus Christ here, if, for those of you that served in vacation Bible school, we had more than we ever had. All these children, all these families hearing about Jesus Christ, letting them know that they're welcome to come here, that we're not going to have a group of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, KGB out there with clipboards how many years have you been out of church not but, but but you're welcome you're welcome to come what an amazing thing and the joy that we experience the joy that our jail ministry guys experience the joy that our children's worker experience when just like the invasion of the mongols in the 12th century i'm just just flooding through here wiping out on their way to children's church what a beautiful thing amen church and they're filled with joy i mean man if you if you're down if you need to pump me up sign up for our children's ministry like Jen and I were talking about some of the kids here. It's like some of you can't you can't help but when you look at them, just smile. It's just awesome. And the joy that we experience, and the joy that we experience from coming under conviction, and like that gum. Did did you did you give Jeff the password? Like how how does he know? I've heard that from people everywhere. I'm mean, a priest all over the place all the time. You're preaching to me. You read my mail. I don't know you. Like I don't know how to hack. That's the spirit of God. There is so much joy when we realize, like with David and the prophet Nathan, when Nathan pointed at him, he said, you, thou art the man. You are the man. You are the problem. And we come to that place where we look square into the word of God, the mirror that doesn't lie, and we realize that it's me. And then we repent. We confess that. And a burden is off of our shoulders. Then we go to the people that we've hurt. And we ask forgiveness. And whether or not they give restitution, they give forgiveness, there's still the burden that has been lifted. Oh my goodness, imagine those feelings, that sense, that when we go to be with Jesus Christ, we know that the flesh has been forever put to death and fullness of joy will be with him. And it's not just we're not going to be floating around in robes, playing harps in the clouds with angels that look creepy. The Bible says it will be a new heaven and a new earth. What an amazing, mind-blowing thing. But until then, we walk in the Spirit. We destroy the flesh. We fight it. We treat it as a water moccasin. We beat it into submission. We don't allow, through God's grace, it to overcome us. And if you are struggling with that, if you think that it's getting the upper hand, talk to one of us. We'd love to be able to pray with you.